0: to even call this a series what we're in discussing just God's generous heart. But but talking about money is really not just talking about money. It's talking about the Lord and the depth with which he loves us and the way that he cares about us and what he has given of himself, what he values and what he cares about. And so I think about that because I bet all of you in your lives have Someone, somewhere who best reflects, best represents just being gracious and giving with their time and with their energy and with their home and with their money and with their things. And everything just becomes there to be shared. People who have learned, sometimes by trial, sometimes because it's just their disposition and their giftedness, but to just live their lives with everything available for anyone who needs it. And that, of course, will never be what the Lord Jesus has been for us, but it's based in what the Lord Jesus has been for us. People who just don't get mad about stuff and don't, uh, don't feel as if if you break it, the world's going to end. People who don't value worldly pleasures, and worldly treasures, people who have recognized that everything in this world, aside from those who claim belong to the Lord Jesus, perish. Those who belong to him live. And so we've had this kind of two-parter, and I gave a challenge last week. And that challenge was just to go before the Lord and ask yourself if, you are, if you're a law-based giver or if you're a freedom-based giver. And the whole heart with that, if you weren't here last week, you just summarized a sermon for you. But the whole heart behind that is just to go before God and go, how do I view my things? How do I view my money? How do I view my time? Is it, is it doled out incrementally to go, okay, well, uh, we had a small group at our house this week, and I'm going to divide the square footage by the amount of bill for the month, and that's going to be a part of my giving. Like, what I give to the energy company is going to be part of that because it was really used for ministry during those two hours I had the group at my house. Uh, you know, like, like, that would be a law-based giver where you start to actually incrementally go, okay, well, we have this much to give, but I'm going to count anything toward that. You know, you buy somebody lunch, and you turn the receipt in and go, can I get reimbursed for this because it was just, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. Or are you freedom-based, which means... You recognize the freedom that exists in the gospel of Christ, and you just want to be you want to be liberal with your things and with your life because that's what the Lord Jesus has been for you. I don't know your answer, but go ahead. If you felt you were law-based, come over here. Just kidding. We're going to go ahead. I have two sermons today, and one is for you and the other is for you. If you actually think back to the sermon we did last week, there was no specifics on giving to the church, giving to the Genesis bank account. Um, We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about giving to a specific place. We didn't talk about billing a a specific bank account. We didn't talk about any of those things because dispositionally, a heart of generosity is that first. And then where has God put us that we are able to reflect that and demonstrate that? We do have limited time, right? I mean, it comes and it goes. The second that you just spent will not be able to be spent again. And you've made a choice that giving your time here is a better use for it right now than giving your time in another space or in another way. Being with your church family, worshiping the Lord Jesus, taking communion, hearing from his word, like that's a better use of your time than something else that you would be able to spend right now. We all make those kinds of things. And even with our money, there's a limited resource. But what I want to be able to do today, we're staying in the New Testament because we were heavily Old Testament last week is just to look at the way Jesus valued kindness and generosity. Because it's often different than the way that we do it. What did Jesus highlight? What did Jesus prop up? What did Jesus care about? Well, look at that first. We're going to look at that in the Gospel of Luke. And then we're going to move from that, and we're going to just look at the Apostle Paul. A man changed by Jesus, was kind of living for himself, was probably a very good tither, if you ask him before his conversion. Very generous, very tithing, very concerned about the poor and everything that he did. So we're going to look at him and look at how he talks about it. In all these things, I hope what we're able to see is the abiding, I'll use the word value, but value as a word falls short. The, the abiding heart of God. What does he look for? What does he look for? What matters to him in his people? Versus, how much should I give or where should I give? Uh, if you were able to listen to the podcast we put out over the past week, we, uh, interviewing just John Whitebrook, interestingly, the one that got the most listens was, how do you give when you're in debt? That was the one. I'm, that was, Maybe that's kind of telling about where some of us are, is like, how do I, how do I pursue generosity when I'm in debt? Uh, so, when you're maxed out, and maybe you've, you're trying to figure out what to do with that, or you're upside down. So they were all listened to fairly, the, you know, basically the same amount, but that one, that one did get you know, a ping more uh, of listens. How do I give when I'm in debt? Jesus has this one main, I, one main disposition. I, I'm going to use the language he uses in one story, but this is his heart from, from Jesus for us. Be rich toward God. That you'd be rich toward God. That is fundamentally what you see in how the Lord Jesus communicates his heart for his people. Be rich toward God, which is an interesting phrase. I I doubt you ever use that in your just day-to-day. Be rich toward God. So what does it mean? Well, it actually comes from Luke chapter 12. So that's where we'll start. I know Pablo read in Luke 21. We're going to start in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus basically says, and when he demonstrates being rich toward God, what he's saying in Luke chapter 12, 15 through 21, is that if you try to gain for yourself, you fail. If you try to gain for yourself, you fail. Many of us are in that race right now, trying to gain for ourselves and trying to live our lives and do our things. Now listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15, and he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable in order to communicate this very idea that one's life does not exist in the abundance of possessions. So he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, huge harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. It's a good problem to have if yours is overflowing with crops. But then, trouble, it goes awry. He said, This, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, you hear in this parable the challenge that we all face. The one we all feel, it's kind of in us, which is do we have enough? Do we have enough things? Can we pay our bills for the lifestyle that we want? And if you see what happens, this man. As Jesus tells the story, to beware of covetousness, to beware of greediness, to beware of hoarding for ourselves, he tells the story of a man who was blessed. He was a wealthy man and he was blessed with crops in abundance. In the heat of summer, and the drought we're in, we don't really know what abundance looks like in that regard. We don't have very many just flowers just flourishing unless your water bill's real high. Blessing of abundance is not, in this parable, the problem. Having things is not the problem. The man was rich, he had land, the land produced, and then he had a talk amongst himself. Big problem when you don't go to the Lord first, what should I do? He asks himself, self, what should I do? He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll just create bigger storage spaces. I'll get a unit down off a Gosling. I'll put in that unit everything that I have because I mean, mean the amount of storage space that even Americans have to hold the things that they don't remember they had. Where you can just go to it, you pay whatever, 150, 180, 50, whatever the number is a month, to store stuff that maybe one day you will use again. If you went into the storage unit, I bet right now you wouldn't remember what's in there. It could have been looted. You don't know. All the money that we spend to store the stuff that we aren't going to get rid of and we aren't going to share. So that's the guy's thought. I'll just build bigger barns. I have the money for it. I can afford it. So I'll just build bigger barns. And if I build bigger barns, I'll store up there, I'll be good, set for life. He uses the language that you see in the Old Testament to represent a fool, eat, drink, and be merry. It's reflected even in working on Ecclesiastes right now, and it's reflected in Ecclesiastes. Oh, yeah, there's nothing better to do just to do do it. In the right spirit, under the obedience to the Lord, eating and drinking and being merry is great. All you do, do it for the glory of God. But he's doing it for the glory of himself. He thinks among himself, and he goes, what should I do? I know what I'll do. I'll I'll just create ways to hold on to it. And what does it not consider? Well, it didn't consider the Lord. It doesn't consider the fragility of life. That man was so confident that he had decades to go, so arrogant about his position, that he had so much more time that he would be set for life. The Lord steps in, says, You fool in this story, you're done tonight. And now, with the stuff that you've had, whose does it become? That's, in fact, one of the problems with Ecclesiastes is, you know, the preacher, Kohelet, Solomon, they're they're thinking about life, and they go, I thought about it, and you know what really stinks? When I die, all my stuff goes somewhere else, and I have no idea if they're going to take care of it. I don't know how they're going to treat it. I don't know what they're going to do with it. And so, so, how meaningless is it to live a life for things? Because once it's gone, it goes to somebody else. If you're really wealthy, like this guy was, and it's 2023, your family's going to fight over it. Who gets this? Who gets that? What's going on there? Was their will accurate? Was it under duress? All that stuff begins to happen. And then Jesus summarizes that in verse 21. So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Rich toward God, in this instance, isn't just filling up the temple with things. But it's using what God has given to bless. You have to remember, the rest of the New Testament, right? And just Jesus is telling the story, it wasn't written. What, what schematic does a Luke audience have in this? What way are the people who are hearing this go? Are they Thinking of even perhaps the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is that seed. Paul picks up in that in the book of Galatians. But through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through his obedience. And the book of Genesis talks about the blessings that Abraham got as he walked with the Lord. And his blessings were things. He had many things. But the idea of the things, in the perfect kind of thinking of it, is to be a blessing for others. Being rich toward God dispositionally is to recognize that all things come from him. We talked about that last week. And because all things come from him, even our increase isn't our increase, it's his. And so the question becomes, Lord, what do I do with this? How do I bless with this? How do I care with this? Now, it might be easy then for us to go, well, great. That's great if you're a rich man. I'm not a rich man. I'm not going to make any comment there. Um, sometimes we aren't wealthy because we like to rack up debt, as we, the podcast listeners let us know. Like we kind of live, we redline it. That's a choice, right? We make that choice to live at a red line. Just go, God, you better provide. Come on. I've right? prayed those prayers, I pray them all the time. Go, Lord, help. So it might be easy to dismiss the rich man and go, well, he's a rich man and he's a fool. If I had an abundance, of course I would ask God what I would do with it. Well, I think the Luke 21 story, not parable, Jesus' observation in Luke 21, challenges maybe even that in our hearts. Luke chapter 21 goes something like this, where right before that, at the end of chapter 20, he is chiding the scribes, Pharisees, for how they treat people. In fact, in chapter 20, verse 47 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about these men and he goes, They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. That's right at the end of chapter 20. Then we get into chapter 21, which was read right before the sermon. And Jesus speaks of a person, a widow. A widow has nothing. No means. They're all the money she had to live on. And he uses her as the highlight. So if we, if we dismiss the story and go, well, I would be rich toward God in my abundance. I know that. I'm sure of it. Then let's look at what happens when somebody doesn't have an abundance and they're rich toward God. Luke 21. Let's see it again. After Jesus just chided the religious leadership for taking advantage of widows, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich, those with means putting their gifts into the offering box. They would come up, and they would put their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, not enough to buy you lunch. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. There's one. I'm going to give you an. There's a reason I don't like this passage. Um, just personally, and the reason I don't like this passage is because Jesus just spoke about religious leadership taking advantage of widows, and in a sense, it's like she just got taken advantage of. Because it wasn't like, well, you know, you shouldn't put it there because it could take advantage of you. You don't know how it's going to be used. Like all that stuff that begins to happen. Jesus isn't concerned about that. She's look, he's looking at the condition of her heart. And in looking at the condition of her heart, this was an act of worship, not an act of performance. An act of performance is wealthy people coming up and getting their coins out of their pockets and clink, 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 clink. Clink, 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 right? Hearing the money fall perhaps, demonstrating how pious they are and how generous they are. And one woman puts in all that she has to live on and Jesus looks at that woman and goes, that's what it's about. That might be the fuller idea of what it means to be rich toward God. Recognizing his provision, his care, and that generosity is an act of worship. You might even say, because we often talk about giving out of our abundance, that this was more than just being generous. This was being wholly sacrificial and confident in God's provisions for her. Jesus highlights what she gave and says, she put in more than all of them. In a world like ours, Spring, Texas 2023, we don't look at it like that very often. We love to look at amounts. We look at how big it was. We size it up. We see the car you drive in on on a Sunday, or the new thing you just did, or the vacation you went on, and we make some kind of determination about what you should be able to give. I'm sure you've never done that. I've never done that. But maybe it's some other church that's more judgmental than ours. We make determinations about people's status and standard and life and life circumstance. We make determinations about all of those things. And wonder just how sacrificial they're really being. As if we are God. And we're not. But when you see God say about a widow... That's the one she gave. No one else here was generous. She was generous. Because she gave sacrificially to what was going on. That's hard for us. This assaults me. I don't like it. And our understandings of generosity because of our ability, we think, To size people up rather quickly. And we use this to determine where somebody stands. But those things fail. You see this all throughout scripture, but you might know the verse. Man looks at the outer appearance and God looks at the heart. We are a people who look at the outer appearance to determine the position of someone's heart. And God looks at the heart to determine the condition. The end. Changed from the inside out. And so when Jesus changes the heart, he changes the actions. Very often, as believers, it's why we gather, it's why we're in community groups, it's why we're in D groups, it's why we discuss, it's why we go on retreats, it's why we meet with friends. Very often we're battling the flesh, we're always needing to align how we want to live with what God asks of his people. That's constant. That's our heavenly father graciously disciplining us, training us, restoring us, at times rebuking us, correcting us, and reminding us how we should live. Because as we've said, God's always going after the heart. That's what's so good about this. He's always going after the heart. He's always concerned about the heart and how his people dispositionally are toward him. We love to look at the outer appearance. We still do it. We look at outer appearances. Jesus wants us to be rich toward God. Paul gives some ways that rich toward God might be demonstrated in congregational life. Now, you have to remember before we get into this that one of the big things Paul was, along with an apostolic church-planting missionary hero, he was also a phenomenal fundraiser. We don't usually call Paul a fundraiser. That's not one of the first titles that he gets. Like, you get his card, and it's like, you know, Paul many degrees if I were to have them as a Jewish man this 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 also killer fundraiser but he was because he could communicate about funds in a way that demonstrated heart condition and heart need that's some of what he shared last week when we were in second corinthians looking at how he talks about it for you know jesus though he was rich became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich and he was a fundraiser not really for always his own endeavors but a fundraiser for the greater expansion of gospel ministry. He would at times challenge churches to provide for the needs of their ministers. And at times he would challenge churches to provide for the needs of other churches. To support what was going on. If a church didn't have means, the church didn't have resources, to give so that other brothers and sisters might be supplied. And so we have a couple of, I'm I'm going to give you a couple of words that you, we could have other words, but we'll use these two for the Apostle Paul. is joyful, discipline, discipline, joyful, in that order. Discipline and joyful. Now I want to start by just us hearing echoes of Jesus in Paul's language. The reason I start with that, I'm actually not going to Corinthians first, we'll get there. But in 1 Timothy, Paul gives some instruction to Timothy about how to instruct wealthy people. How to care for and properly disciple and train people with means. And he says this. You're going to hear Jesus in the Gospel of Luke coming right on through as you hear this. And you should because these men are consistent. Paul is learning from the Lord. He's instructing in that way. He's empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit is consistent. You're going to hear a consistent theme. 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verse 17, as for the rich of this present age, interesting delineation of this present age, because in the future age, we're all rich in the sense of like, we're all with the Lord, (laughs) all the Lord, new heaven, new earth, don't need a bank account anymore. As for the rich in this present age, those who have means, assuming that they are here a part of the church, not outside the church, like is often dispositionally kind of created where... Outsiders are wealthy, insiders are poor, but he's talking about those who have means who are a part of the church. This is what Timothy's to do. Charge them not to be haughty, proud of themselves, arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You can hear again echoes of the fool in Luke chapter 12, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God, hope not in your stuff, hope in God, rich toward God, confident in God, who richly provides us with everything To enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share. Result, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, this is, you know, you ever gone on a vacation? I assume you have somewhere. You've gone somewhere, you've really enjoyed it. Maybe you have this picture on your refrigerator or something like that. You've gone somewhere, you've had it, probably Galveston. Galveston's the most baller beach around. So you go down to Galveston. And you're sitting there, and you go, man, this is life. This this is what life's all about. Or maybe you had the means to go to Colorado or go to Arizona. We've been able to do trips like that as a family. And you can have these moments where you're just... You're really grateful to be there and everything's so beautiful, much more beautiful than 107 and dead. Like, it's just very nice. And you have this moment where you could go, man, if I could just do this forever. If I could just be right here forever. And I, if I could just, right, families around, everything's great. If you're a grandparent, it's probably like your kids are there with your grandkids and everyone's getting along. Like, like that's really, I, I, if we could just bottle this up and keep this. This is what I want. This is truly living. But then you look at what Paul says in First Timothy, that you want to be generous, storing up a treasure, a foundation for the future. And then he says, "So that you may take hold of that which is truly life, what's actually living, which is the life that is to come. So Paul starts in First Timothy, that's where we are today, with instruction toward wealthy people. To do good, to be generous, and that that stores up for themselves where their hope actually is. I love that. There's the assumption that there are always or often those with means in church life, and he wants them to live for the Lord. And it's not about trusting in your things. It's not about trusting in your things. Even though we love the temptation and the allure to get rich quick. Hey, this is the best time to buy this stock. This is the best investment that you could find. I'm telling you, if you just give me a little bit of your money, give me five years, and it's going to quintuple. I'm gonna, you watch. It's going to happen. And you're like, all right, let's be rich, right? Like, Let's put all I have. Let's do it. I get personally a little nervous. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to like, bzz, bzz, bzz. I'm not trying to buzz you. I get nervous. I really like sports. College football has begun. So, anyways, Lord bless me. Um, but if you ever watch sporting events now, they put the gambling lines on everything. Everything. Every game. What's the over under? What's the this? What's the that? Now the commentators are giving their picks for you on what they think you should bet on. I mean, it's everywhere. I still don't actually know what the numbers mean, and I want to stay that way. So if you're too good at that, don't come and tell me about it, because it's going to tell me something about your heart. I don't want to know that. (laughs) But here's why I get so concerned, both pastorally and just as a human with children, is that it's the allure of riches. It's the allure of spending five bucks and turning it into seven and a half dollars. It's the allure of taking a little bit and getting a lot from it. Well, if I just put 50 cents down on my seven leg parlay and it it hits, I'm gonna make $30 million. I could do this for the rest of my life and be fine. No, why? Because you're hoping in this age. You're hoping in the allure of riches and not in the God who has already so generously provided for you. I'm going to pause here and give you something that's not in my notes. Uh, and the reason for that is because this is something the Lord is teaching me. Hopefully it's beneficial to you. And if it's not, just put your, hit, your metaphorical fingers in your ears. A great way to not be dissatisfied in this world with what you have is to constantly demonstrate gratitude if you can just communicate both with your friends and with your family and to the lord recognizing his provisions it it, it it's like a it's like a hedge against dissatisfaction when you're communicating gratitude and you're recognizing what god has given and you're seeing it as his care and his kindness toward you. It may not even be in the way that you want. That's okay. God is not beholden to your whims. But to demonstrate and practice regularly as a family, as a believer, to gratitude to communicate to God your recognition to articulate that you see what God is doing and that you're grateful for it can be a great check in our heart against dissatisfaction and discontentment with what we don't have, what we can't do, what we can't see, all of those kinds of things. Because this world is fleeting and if we live for it, we're gonna be let down. We're going to, and it's going to sting. And that might be God's grace toward us as well. Because what's worse is that you think worldly wealth is going to get you where you need it to get you. And it doesn't. And then you hear, fool, today your life is exacted, demanded, required of you. What are you going to do with all that stuff now? So that's... Timothy. I do want to go to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to talk about discipline and joyful. Here's why. Uh, This is the collection for other churches that Paul is referred to. This is a good thing that he fundraises for, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, these were some of the first churches Paul planted in Galatia, so you are also to do. So he's already given some instruction. And now he's instructing the Corinthians. On the first day of every week, which I uh, would believe would be Sunday for them now. It's kind of the, now it's the first day, uh, their Sabbath, when they gather, perhaps when they worship. Um, early in the morning, maybe. They have to get to work. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, which demonstrates like according to means, according to capacity, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, right there, just in verse 2, the reason that he doesn't want any collecting when he comes is because sometimes when the boss shows up, we're going to say, put boss in air quotes, when the boss shows up, you're like, oh, shoot, I didn't do it. And so Paul wants to put, in a sense, a buffer between their act of generosity and his presence. Right? Like, Like he doesn't. He doesn't want it to have to be like, well, now that Paul's here, let's go ahead and pass the hat. He's actually trying to see if they are disciplined and maturing in their faith by being able to plan to give so that when he shows up, the pastor doesn't get up. and is like, okay, guys, hold on, Paul, could you go out into the hall real quick? We forgot to do the offering, so could you guys run home real quick and go get what you have? Because we don't have bank accounts and we don't have the church center app. We can't do all that kind of stuff right now. So can you—it's coming, but— you know, can you go, go do that and come back because we're going to be real embarrassed if we don't have something because we are supposed to have it. So he's instructing them so that when he arrives, what is set aside as an act of worship is already there. I have heard, I don't even remember where this conversation was. It was maybe, maybe, were we, maybe Ben and I were talking about it. I don't, but like um, people who set aside money to purposefully give even when they're unsure of what that giving might go to. They just, they just go, hey, so we, we give to our church, we give to missionaries, and then we give to bless. And we just, we just sock that away. And then when God provides the person or the opportunity or the thing, we step into that opportunity because it's already there. We already have the funds. We already have the capacity. We already, as we have prospered, as God has been providing for us, we now have the ability to step in immediately and take care of an need meet it. So there's an expectancy even there that God will provide those types of opportunities. So no collecting when I come so that when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he doesn't even have to be there. But he does say, if it's advisable that I should go, they'll accompany me. But you're gonna write the letter and you're gonna say, hey, we, we approve of Blaine and Cynthia and Jacob to go deliver uh, this over to the churches in Jerusalem. Like they, they can do that. And so you see this disciplined habit. This is the opposite of how sometimes in our immaturity we are trained to give, which is out of what you have left. Pay all your bills, have a little fun, and then go, okay, it's 30 bucks left. It's do 30 bucks. Disciplined flips that and says, this amount holds. This holds. Now, we're paid totally differently, right? Like, I don't, I, like, I, my kids are like, why don't you like cash? And we were having this conversation on the way back from haircuts. Can't you just get $200 out of the ATM and then always have that money around? I was like, well, a couple of things. Number one, that's usually not how we spend money. Number two, I treat cash like it's extra. And so I'll burn it. Like, like it'll, like, I'll be like, hey, let's go to Sonic. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's go, like, like it'll just start, it'll be gone. And then what it was set aside for, it, it's not going to be set aside for that anymore. Uh, so, so, no, in general, no, that's not, that's not what we do. But we could, I could, because he's like, it's the same money. The money's here, the money's there. I was like, no, 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 no. Not in my heart, it's not the same. The value is the same, but the way I would use it would be different. So he's raising support, not for the Corinthians, and he wants them to have a disciplined approach so that when he arrives, it's already there. It's already set aside and they can take it on to Jerusalem. This also shows us that our giving is not always just for us. In fact, even this week, I get to meet with somebody who wants to plant a church. And anytime somebody wants to plant a church, they fundraise. And we have set aside money in our budget for undesignated missions contributions. We want to be able to kind of go, all right, if a need shows up that we could support, we want to be able to support it at a certain rate. And so I'm not going to like, you know, you know, put a little uh, wand on him and go, here's your money or anything like that. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know that. I don't know the approach. I don't know why it kind of fits some of our convictions about what we want missions to be. But I was like, I'll meet with you because emails come to me because like I'm looking for Pastor Hans. Like they just assume that I just have like the, the bank account. Uh, so I'm like, let's meet. And... That will be, we have money set aside to not exist in this, in this space. And actually, one thing that we're trying to do as a church and with that is be sure that even the undesignated amounts get spent. Like if we come to you at the end of a budget year and say, hey, we came in $5,000 under budget, and that's because we didn't spend $5,000 that we had, we had said we were going to spend outside of our doors, then that's not a win. That might be a win for the bottom line, but it's not a win for our hearts because we said, no, we're going to spend it. We're going to, we're going to get it out of our doors. We're going, to, we're going to impact gospel ministry going forward in other places and in other ways. So even as you give to Genesis, we are trying to also demonstrate that habit of not just keeping everything for us, spending all of our money just on us. I have this prayer, that one of our elders is like, I'd love for us to get to a spot where we could be giving away 50% of what we have. And I just pray for it, because that's a lot. And I was like, but here we go, Lord, right? Jesus, take the wheel, we can do it. So for a year or two or three, I've just kept that on there or something. I go, Lord, if there's this day where we can increase this and continue slowly but surely to increase our ability to bless other works and bless other things, you want to be able to do that. So, disciplined giving. For the work of the gospel. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians 16. And then you also, I would say, see Paul's maturity to not have it show up as an exaction. I get there, and you can send other people along. If you think I should go, I'll go, but I don't even have to go with it. You just write the letter, you send them along. 2 Corinthians talks about that joyful disposition. He says it like this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you might go, why is that? It's because God is a cheerful giver. Think about what the scriptures say about Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross who for the joy set before him, honoring his father's will, securing the salvation of men, women, and children, bringing about new life for so many, for you and for me, that that was joy set before him to endure shame and pain and scorn so that, as we read in 2 Corinthians last week, through his poverty we might become rich. Not materially rich, Rich with every spiritual blessing that exists for us to have. A cheerful or a joyful giver is one who is glad to be able to do it. Set aside. And he does have this part where the more you are glad to be generous, the more joy is reaped from it. And so shoot for being super generous. I mean, like, like, go for it. Because there's just only more joy there, and you get to see the way God's pro- God continues to provide. Joyful giving. And again, in verse 7, Paul does not exact. Because he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, which then also goes to prayer, doesn't it? We've been talking about prayer a lot throughout the year, actually going before the Lord and asking him, what should I do with this raise? What should I do with this new job? What should I do with this potential increase? Lord, what do we do with a decrease? Should we hold the line when I get a demotion or I lose a job? How do we do we do this faithfully, right? As you have set aside. The widow giving all that she had Was from a position of worship. Whereas it sounds like the ones of wealth who were giving out of their abundance weren't really worshiping, they were performing a religious duty. Jesus' heart is that we would be rich toward God. Paul's heart is the same. He gives some specifics in how he talked to churches, that it would be disciplined and joyful, I think for us, we need to remember just this because of the work that Jesus has done for us is that we are free to be generous. We are free to be generous. And you might be here this morning and go, listen, I'm not making any money right now. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I haven't had a raise in X amount of years. Okay. Remember, we're not talking about specific percentages here. We're talking about a disposition of the heart. What has God given you? God giving you a place to live? Maybe host a community group. Use those spaces. Mentor people. John's talking about, if you listen to those podcast episodes, that, that he made a decision to retire early. And the trade-off was, if I retire early, I won't be able to give as much money, but I can give far more time. And I asked that question of, do you regret the past 15 years of your life not being, you know, be having, not, not working and only giving more time or do you wish you would have been working and being able to give more? And he was like, no question, not even close, that this was the right trade-off to make. Giving of my time, giving of my home. Give, it, it, like there are some people in our church family and that you might know as well, they always seem to have somebody living with them, like nonstop. Like just somebody just found their house. It's like, hey, I just hear that you take people in. Like, I don't know how it happens. You know, families just show up at your door, ding-dong, knock-knock-knock, whatever. Like, hello, we hear that you give bedrooms. Come on in. Like, like really, there are just some folks who are like that. I'm like, I don't know if you want to share a bathroom with my boys anymore. Like, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it's the most, you know, reasonable decision to make if you guys go, well, just sure, like, just share a room with my family, it's fine. But there are all kinds of ways God has freed us to be generous. Because the freedom that is given is a freedom of the heart towards sin and disobedience. That's now gone. And we have crossed from death to life. And in crossing from death to life, nothing is ours anymore, it's all the Lord's. I've even heard a guy say it this way How can a steward be generous? You're, just, you're, just, you're dealing with somebody else's money and somebody else's stuff. It's, like, it's all God's anyways. And so really, at its core, how can a steward be generous as we talk about it? Because they're just able to use what God has given them. It's God's generosity. It's God's heart. It's God's stuff. I was like, well, I don't really like the way you said that, man. Because I like to think that we could be generous. You can. You're free to be generous. But it's a freedom of the heart. No longer shackled towards sin, and then, Lord, what do we do now? A prayerful consideration of what we should do. I have a couple of ways to consider it. You can—you probably have considered it in different ways as well. Um, to your local church, absolutely a way to be generous to supply for the needs. If you have staff, for the staff. If the lights need to be on, lights are on, like for the expansion of ministry, for the going of the, on of the retreat. Those types of things support the work of ministry. The giving to missionaries and the ability to go bless people with scholarships or finding ways to go buy food for teachers down at Shindewolf. There is a, a place that our local church should play in our generosity. I don't think we should be members of a local church just personally and go, and we never give to it. We give to other things. We just, like, we just only give our local church our time. I'm like, okay, well, all right, that feels weird, well, we'll, but we'll pray about it go to the Lord. Not a percentage. That can feel overwhelming, but perhaps as God prospers, that percentage, whatever it is, increases as time goes on. To the poor. It's a big part of New Testament ministry. To the poor. Perhaps to missionaries who do gospel work amongst the poor. Who are finding ways to invest in those who have little. Because that was Jesus' heart. That was his concern. Along with that to missionaries. Both we support them. Your generosity to Genesis supports the work of the gospel in other countries and things going on even here, but there will probably be people as time goes on in your life who, are, who go out that may not be on the, the payroll of Genesis, so to speak, that you want to support. Go for it. Go for it. Support it. Be glad about it. Pray for those people. Be invested in what's going on in their lives. A fun one, honestly, is to friends. Anonymously or not, but to be able to have means to support people in your life who need it at different times. I would guess many of you have been propped up at some point in time by somebody that you either know or don't know, and the money just showed up. That doesn't happen unless somebody who has been changed by God's grace decides to be disciplined and joyful and intentional in how they give. Why would we do any of these things? Because it reflects what God's heart is and what he's done for us. And I trust that God works in all our hearts to challenge us, to change us, to grow us, to continue to demonstrate and reflect his heart that is so generous towards us. Because remember that kind of control we had from last week. Remember the Lord Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. He is our model of giving, of generosity, of care, concern, love, support. He is our model. We look to him. We delight in him. And we're freed by him to be totally new people. And the way that he has been kind to us, we are free to be kind towards others. Our time, talent, treasure, attention, heart. Because there's really far, far, far better. There are few things that are that good, I should say, as just being generous as God has been. And being able to demonstrate in little ways your maturity and your growth as you go, you know what, this isn't about me. I've told this story one time of a new believer. I'll tell it this last time and we'll be done. Had a friend. She came to the Lord. She was an incredibly successful, still is, an incredibly successful woman. Like High, high earner, kind of a go-getter. If she came in, like we would all be whipped into shape in like 35 seconds. That's it. Because she's like, here's what we need, boom, 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 boom. This is what she's done. I mean, she has been a high flyer her whole life. And I've told this story before, but I went to a Bible study that she was attending, and I just, she handed me an envelope of cash. Okay? Kind of cool. And she said, now this is the new believer talking. She, she recognizes that God's been generous and that we are too. And she goes, I need you to take this. I need you to take this because if you don't, I'm going to spend it on me. And I know, I'm not, like, I know I'm not supposed to. And I'm like, absolutely. I don't want to be walking around with a wad of cash. I didn't even look in it. and go, like, what's going on here? I need you to take this. What is that? That is giving from faith. I know my disposition. Kind of, I know what I might want to do with this. I know how I might treat this. And so I've already put it in the envelope. I have decided when I show up to Bible study, I'm going to hand it to somebody who is going to take it off my hands and get it where it needs to go. That right there is a work of God's spirit in the heart of a new believer. I'm going to do it because I know I should. I'm going to do it because I recognize that this is what God has done for me. And because I know myself. And I'm just going to use it on me if I don't use it for the Lord. I love that. I love that heart. And that's what God is continuing to work out. Now you might have been walking with God 20, 30, 40, 50 years and he's still teaching us those kinds of lessons about who we are and how we live. And it's his grace. Because his heart for our generosity as a church and as believers and as households is bigger than mine or any other elder or any other person. Because it's what he's working out to make the name of Jesus Christ known in all the earth.